from the campaign trail to the studio, Wesley Hunt continues the fight. Along with his brother, Rendon, they chronicle their family experience from slavery to West Point in four generations. Tackling the difficult conversations facing our country, they're on a mission to preserve the American dream. Buckle up and welcome aboard. You're in the hunt. Welcome back. I'm Wesley Hunt. You're in the hunt. I'm Rendon Hunt. You're in the hunt. Now, today we're going to talk a little bit about how we learn in life. And I think one of the things that we see is we learn far more from the valley than we do from the mountaintop. And there's so many times in our lives where we look around and we find ourselves in places where we certainly didn't want to be. And quite frankly, the most important decisions that we make in life are those decisions that we make when we're at our depths. And really to kick us off, I think about one of the moments that I experienced. This is why, while Wesley and I were at West Point. And at West Point, at every point, I think somebody has a moment where they're ready to quit. And they just don't want to be there anymore. And it doesn't have to do necessarily with your ability to be there, your intelligence, your physical fitness. It has to do with the fact that it's four years It's a really long four years, and everybody has that point at which they just don't want to do it anymore. I mean, what's the the West Point joke? At the time, it's a $400,000 education shoved up your ass one penny at a time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So accurate. So accurate. And there's, there's moments when you first get there where I'll never forget. I mean, you're doing plebe summer. You're outside. It's hot. And you're thinking about it, and you're like, this is one day out of four years. And you don't have the perspective to realize that this is a school and we're going to do other things besides this. But you're thinking, this is one day out of four years. So I actually hit that moment very early on in my cadet career. And by the way, real quick, how horrible was Plebe Summer? It's awful. (laughs) Like, it's hot. You're out there. You're wearing all the. You're wearing wool pants every day. Uh, you're wearing these hot leather shoes. Uh, your feet are sweating through everything. You're sweating through your socks. You're standing there at parade rest for hours and hours on end, reading your smart book, learning about the definition of leather and how's the cow. It's, like, do you remember these days? It's absurd. <laughs> like, it's absurd. And and to me, I mean, I felt I didn't have quite the plebe experience that you did because a, I had you, yeah. and b. I memorized all that stuff before I got there. You sent me the book and said, hey, you'd be better off if you know all this stuff. (laughs) That's a good idea. So so there are many of those times when people are standing, reading that book, memorized, where I'm just standing, spacing out. Yeah. Just, like, thinking about stuff. Do do you remember, like, like the urinalysis testing in the morning? Oh. Where they get everybody up in the morning, and it's not like they would come to your room when it was your turn, but everybody had to stand on the wall, and you had to wait for everybody to go to the bathroom. You had to stand there until the last person was done, but there was always that one person that couldn't go potty. Hey, man, right? I got stage fright. I got stage. Come on, man. I can't go. Hey, my God. But it was, but it's perhaps the most interesting piece of this is. I learned a lot about myself then. And between that trial and other other trials in life, it was a really an opportunity to learn a lot about myself. And I really realized the, the breaking point for me was pretty early on, okay? And I'm fortunate that I had that time that I wanted to leave early on, and quite frankly, I never had it again after that. So this was plebe summer at the very beginning, and I'm just coming off my first year where we had been apart. Yeah, because I was a senior in high school, really the first time that that we had been apart, and I had done something myself. So coming back to West Point was our opportunity. You had the car to yourself your to be together. In high I, I had the car to myself. Yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn how to drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a driver. I, I didn't you had have a, driver a sh- I didn't have a chauffeur <laughs> anymore. And I I remember going through plebe summer, and I just kind of got to a point where. In our minds, and this is something that we always have to think about mentally, we stop living our lives and we start living these alternative (laughs) realities. So we stop thinking about, hey, man, how can I maximize the situation that I'm in? And we start thinking about what other people are doing. Yeah. 
And, and that's what got me at West Point because I got to the point where you're getting the Dear John letters from the girlfriends. Yeah. You're... Your friends are kind of giving you these letters that they think are helpful. And they're it's not. It's like, hey, man, I'm at Vanderbilt. We're having this really awesome party. And yeah. I'm like, why are you writing this to me? I don't, well, don't want to hear that. <laughs> like, and then is... on top of that, like, at that at that time, I think things have changed significantly now. But remember, like, you got, like, two phone calls oh. per half of the summer. Oh, but they were, but they weren't long phone calls. They they were like they were like ten minutes. So you're trying you're trying to call your mom, <laughs> your girlfriend, and everybody in ten minutes. But wait, there's more. There were pay phones. You had calling cards. Yes. It's not like today. So you're yes. sitting here frantically dialing this stuff because you know these are precious seconds. And when your time was up, that was it. Yeah, and they come and hang the phone up while you're talking. Absolutely. To <laughs> like I remember talking to mom. It's like, hey, I gotta go. <laughs> Speaking of pay phones, man, do you remember when? And this goes to show you. I, I don't know if Core my has, kids man. will ever. Seriously, I don't know if my kids will ever have this level of responsibility that I didn't realize responsibility at the time. Remember when mom used to drop us off at the movie theater? Yeah. And you didn't have an additional quarter to pay for the pay phone yeah. to call to get picked up? Yeah. So you would call collect. Yes. And they'd say, you are getting a call from, hey mom, this is Rinda, come pick me up for the movie theater. <laughs> Remember you had to do that, man? <laughs> Because you again, spent that last quarter on that last pack of Skittles. Oh. So you had to figure out how to get back home. And can All you right. imagine? Our kids will never have any idea, no idea what that of, of what that, that no feels idea. like. And they need to. I feel like we need to make it make that up for them one day. Yeah. 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 We, we got to train them right, right? Yeah, we do. We do. It's our responsibility to train them, train them in the way of the West Point Jedi. It, it really you is. Will learn. You will learn. You'll learn <laughs> you how will to do not this. call You'll me. learn how to do this. But so the time that I really had um, – I started thinking about what other people are doing and I started thinking about other opportunities and and quite frankly oftentimes in life we have to push through things that are hard yeah. like don't quit things because it's hard if you quit things quit because you don't want to do it anymore yeah. but those are two very different things not because I think it's hard and I feel like I've gotten to a point where I can't do it but because I don't want to do it anymore it's not necessary for me yes and I got to a point uh, very early on, we had finished kind of the plebe summer piece, and we had transitioned to the academic year, yeah. which for me is a good transition. I mean, I, I, mean I, I like the academic year. I like to study. I like to read and all this kind of thing. So it was a good transition. Yeah. So we're moving into our first room, and my roommate was a football player, so it was just me in there. And I was doing the right thing. I was trying to get my stuff ready for formation. I wanted to have the best looking shoes. I wanted to have the iron, everything iron. And for me, I oftentimes had, West Point was a really good fit for me because when you tell me what to do, I can do it. Yeah. And I always thought it was interesting. People would tell me after graduating from West Point, they would say, wow, I mean, that, that probably took a lot of discipline. And I would always think, I think the same thing about my buddies that went to UT and a and I think, wow, it took a lot of discipline for you to actually go to class. Because I had to Because I don't know. I had to go to West Point. I, I had to be Brennan, there. if I went to I, UT, oh. I'd still be there working on my undergrad. <laughs> it would have been a disaster. I'd still be there. It would have I'd been, have been Van Wilder. It would have been a disaster. Yes. West and, Point was great for me. Oh, I tell, I tell people this all the time. In all my education, through undergrad and through business school, I have missed zero classes. Yes. And I've been late to zero classes. Yes. Period. That was the standard. Yeah. So for my personality style, the idea of you getting graded militarily, I always thought it was funny when I have buddies who would be failing militarily. I'm like, dude, just do exactly what they tell you to do. So, Renan, I was late to a class either. I think let's explain this for, for, for certain people to understand how class worked at West Point. Sure. You had a section marcher. The section marcher was a cadet that was assigned to take attendance for everybody in the class every single day. And at the time, there were about 15 or 20 cadets maximum, by the way. I mean, usually there were about 11 to 12 cadets in my class. So you did not want to be the person that showed up to class late because by the time that bell struck, the section marcher would account for everybody, turn to the instructor who was probably an officer, salute and say, sir or ma'am, the class is formed. Or sir or ma'am, the class is formed minus this cadet. And you don't want to be that cadet because no. you don't want to come in late huh. and you don't want to come in, you know, disheveled with papers flying all over the place. And no. you're the only one 
they didn't come to class on time. That's the kind of pressure that you had to deal with every time, particularly when you had swimming or you had gymnastics or, I'm sorry, military movement that was across the campus. You had 10 minutes to get to Thayer Hall. You're sitting there sweating. You're sitting there sweating in your wool pants and everything. You come running in there because you're terrified of being late. <laughs> to give you an idea. And this is every class. Every single class. For four years. And this is beyond the disciplinary ramifications of it, of yes. having to walk hours. This is just the personal shame associated with yes. it. Yes. <laughs> and and, and the, the, the crazy thing, too, you go back to something that you said <laughs> earlier, the idea of because we are perspirers. Yes. I tell you, being sweaty, I mean, that was a story of my four years. All four years. And, and then the— You and never not only stopped that, sweating for four years. It was the smell of wet wool. <laughs> you're not disgusting. You're not disgusting. It, it's bad enough to, to sweat all the time anyway. It's even worse to smell like a, a farm animal every time you start sweating, right? And then, you know, because there's times where you're trying to look cute and stuff like that, and people are like— What's that smell? It smells, it smells like it smells like a lamb. <laughs> well, wait, but wait, there's more, because then we'd have to go to the Army Navy game. Oh, and it was freezing cold. So here's here's the one thing about and I don't know, man. Maybe it's just like West Point wool, okay? But it's it's really hot in the summer and it's completely <laughs> ineffective in the winter, okay? Now you would what would think? What would think? That this is the warmest material ever to march on the field with pride on Army Navy game, and you think that these cadets are warm? Oh no, they weren't warm. And remember those horrible leather gloves? Oh, that did nothing for us. But wait, there's more. You couldn't have your own like Gore-Tex, like really comfortable gloves because it was out of uniform. Because it was out of uniform. <laughs> remember those those wool socks that they issued in. And in the that laundry, the cold air cut through effectively oh. for whatever reason. Well, the worst part was the laundry <laughs> services. They and, and this goes to show you. And I mean, God bless mom for doing this. Yeah, we didn't do our own laundry one time while while we were in we the had house. Best mom in the world. In, incredible. I mean, God bless mom for doing it. Yep. Best and, mom in the world. And a lot of people say, you know, you would want to continue to do that. I wanted to continue to have others do my laundry for me until I let the cadet laundry services do my laundry. And then all of a sudden. And I realized, wow, mom puts fabric softener yeah. in the dryer. She doesn't, there's, put, she doesn't put the wool socks there's in There's dryer the, sheets. She hangs them. She doesn't put the wool socks with everything else. And so I'll never forget, whether it be Army-Navy game or other games, the second you send out the wool socks, you get them back, and you try to put them on, and the, the, the heel of the sock is like, Right here, <laughs> you're like, and you're they're like, not even—they're not. We're an eleven, not a six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> they're not even black socks anymore at this like, point. They're like light gray socks. Right. Uh, but but anyway, you know, we had transitioned to the academic year, and I'm in the room, trying to get my stuff together, and I'm doing the right thing. I'm shining my shoes, and there's putting edge dressing on the shoes. Right. And quite frankly, not everybody puts edge dressing on their shoes. We do. It's what you're supposed to do, but not everybody puts edge dressing on the shoes. And for those who don't know, edge dressing is the, it's essentially a permanent marker in liquid form that you put on the brims of your shoes to really make them shine and, and glitter and give that, give that pop, right? It's kind of like a hairstyle, you know, when somebody has a hairstyle and their hair is still wet. Yeah. yeah. It's like, how do you get that wet look forever? There you go. There you go. Yeah, like like it's 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 wet. Yeah, and just why I mean, you had to have had some shine on boots that I've seen. Now you see that and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah those things, those things. That look looks wet, wet. Yeah. right? And so I'm I'm. It's like I'm, Thor's hair in Avengers. Yes, it's constantly. Yes, why, why is it? It's wet. <laughs> yeah, Lionel Richie. That's Jerry Crow. Yeah, now. right. That that's look. This wet and then this Jerry Crow. They're soaked. They're soaked. <laughs> His was soaked. So I, I'm, I'm getting my boots together, and I had a couple of pretty nice-looking nice pairs of shoes slash boots. Was trying to, I didn't have the ones where, you know, some people had a sorry pair and a good pair. I wanted all mine to, to look good. Yeah. And so I'm getting them shined up, and I haven't seen you all summer because you were doing your cadet field training. Yeah. I had just finished up that training, and I was just at a point emotionally, mentally, where I was just done. I just didn't feel like being in there. I was just, I was just done. I understand. 
and I'm shining shoes, and shining shoes can be quite cathartic from time to time. So I'm shining shoes, and I'm just trying to get back, right? The way that you apply edge dressing, it's in liquid form. It's in a glass bottle. First of all, why you would still produce something like that in a glass <laughs> bottle is beyond me. Is be, I mean, it's come on. Me. It, it is something that, that is a dye. Why would you still produce this in a glass bottle? Okay. It's a haze, man. So, so it's in a glass bottle. The way that you apply it is you shake it up, and then you unscrew the little applicator, and there's a sponge on the bottom of the applicator, and you use that sponge to put it on the sides. Now, you have to be very careful because if you get it on your hands or your clothes or anything like that, it's dye, and it will stain. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, put, it's I mean, like putting a Sharpie. stain water. It's like putting a Sharpie on stuff. Yes. Right? So in order to apply it the right way, you shake it up first to mix the dye. Then you take out the applicator, put it on. I had a situation and, and let me back up even, even a little bit more. There's a special <clears throat> knock that people give at West Point to go into your room so you know who's coming in. If you knock a whole bunch of times, it's one of your peers, one of your friends, fine. Two knocks, that's somebody you need to stand up to attention and report to when they walk in the room. It's a signal that it's somebody who's superior who's coming in the room. So I'm shining my boots, getting ready, shake up my edge dressing, unscrew the applicator, pop up. Cadet Hunt, report to the person who walks in. I don't even remember what the person was coming in to talk to me about. It wasn't that important. Hey, make sure to bring this to formation. Not even that important. But in my mind, I completely shift to that and I forget that I left an open bottle of edge dressing on my desk. Yeah. Upperclassman walks out, grabbed the bottle of edge dressing, forgetting that I had already shaken it up and opened it. Opened it. Take it, shake, <laughs> full, fresh bottle of edge dressing all over my room. That's so funny. All over my room. <laughs> That's the worst. There was a literally 30-second pause that I had. Like, literally just hold this right here, thinking, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Time for It's on my clothes. It's on the computer screen of the computer that I just got. It's on my mattress. It's on my sheet. It's all over the room and then also let me tell let me add this too we got our rooms inspected as plebes just about every day by an upperclassman so cleanliness was literally next to godliness you made your bed every day you swept your floor every day you were only allowed a certain number of knickknacks too i think at the time when yeah. you were a plebe every day so this is disastrous to a plebe to spill edge dressing all over their immaculate room at west point knowing that you're going to have to get this stuff up that you're going to have to clean it up. And there was always that little spot in a lot of rooms. You could always tell that there was an edge dressing. Oh, little spot. There, there I mean, <laughs> and, and, I, and let, me, let me amend what you said, too. You used the verb spill. Edge dressing erupted. Okay. <laughs> this room. And the only, the only way this you This is can, not Vesuvius. Oh, it's this ridiculous. This is the Vesuvius of edge dressing. Oh, and the only way you can clean this stuff up, and this is how you know how bad it is, Nail polish remover. That's how you know it. Whenever you have to clean something up with nail polish remover, yes. it's bad. Okay? And to your point, you can see whenever it's on the floors because it strips the floor. It takes the enamel. It takes the enamel. <laughs> so you know when somebody spilled that dressing because you look around on the floor and it goes from shiny, 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 dull. Just dull, just dull spot. Just know, man. You just know. So I, 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 I sit there. And this just overwhelming wave of emotion uh -huh. comes over me. Because I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm questioning where I am right now. This is hard. I don't know what the next step is. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to clean this stuff up. And I haven't seen you since in a while. 
And at that very moment, I get knock, knock. My hands are in my head. I'm crying at this point. I'm cussing at this point. And then I see you. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Now, I don't know why you knocked twice. That was kind of a haze. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I gave you the biggest hug, and, and it was exactly what I needed at that moment in my life. And that was a, a, a depth that I was experiencing. But one of the things that I really realized in that moment is, A, you really have to be, in, be cognizant of the people that you surround yourself with. Exactly. Because if you're going through valleys in life and you don't have the right support system or people around you, yes. not only can it get very lonely, but it can get dangerous too. Yes. Yes. And I think the advice that I always give to a lot of people are that you, there are people that you may have had in your life for a very long time and you may love them and they may be important to, for you, but they may not be good for you. And if you don't surround yourself with people that are going to be uplifting, particularly in these valleys, valleys can actually become permanent. Huh. Look at who you're surrounding yourself around. And this is the one thing that I learned even, even in that moment with you, uh, and I will forever have somebody, I wish everybody could have a you, a Rendon, in their lives. And this is kind of what we touched on even in the first episode about losing this election. And it was about you know, 12, 30, one o'clock in the morning when we realized that, this, that, that it was over. And you were there. And I walked over, I gave you a hug, and I was in, I was down and out, but you were there. I like that you tell that story because it was the exact same feeling when I walked in on you when you had the Mount Vesuvius of edge dressing all over the floor. <laughs> and people may hear that and you may think that's a trivial story, but the sentiment is exactly the same. Those who are there for you to help you get out of the valleys or as or, or is equally important than the education that you learn in the valley. Absolutely. And and part of it too is you have to stop. Yeah. And this is what's hard to do. This is easier to say when things are going well, and it's easier to say when you're clicking on all cylinders. But you have to stop and recognize where you are. Yeah. Recognize how it feels. Understand it. Understand what that is for the for the next iteration too. Because once you've proven to yourself that you can get out of the valley, yes. that's where you have real power. So you wanna know what the most <clears throat> remarkable part about your edge dressing story is? That was a valley. And it wasn't a valley because you spilled edge dressing. It was a valley because it was a culmination of a lot of emotions and it was a yeah. culmination of a long time and feeling isolated and being at West Point and having high expectations and this constant grind, yeah. especially at 18 years old, that can really take its toll on you. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever spill edge dressing on the floor again? No. Why? Because you learned. Don't be the person that keeps spilling edge dressing all over the floor every week. Yeah. That's what it means to learn in those valleys. Don't be the person that continues to surround yourself with toxic people. <laughs> Don't be the person that continues to do the same wrong thing over and over and over again, but expect a different result. Yeah. This is the issue why a lot of times people perpetually stay in the valley because they just don't learn from it. The whole point of this episode, I feel like, is to stress the importance of evaluating. And again, to your point of you learn more, you learn more in that moment about edge dressing than you would have ever learned oh. if you'd never spilled it. Oh. I think by that point, you probably learned the composition, the chemical composition of edge dressing. You learned. <laughs> you learned. You I knew learned, a lot about that. You learned the best methods of removal. I bet you could probably walk in a room and see a few spots. Hey, man, let me tell you something. Here's the best thing you could do to get that. You were clearly using back and forth. You need circular. It's certainly more of a circular <laughs> to get that out. You learned more then than you could ever did if you had not spilled it. But how can we help people recognize First of all, that you might be in a valley. And hey. second of all, what are you learning and what are you doing to get out of it? Who are you surrounding yourselves around to get out of it? What input are you taking from others? What are you reading? Yeah. What are you learning? Yeah. What are you taking in? What are you watching? Yeah. Because all of these things are components of learning and how you're going to get better to get out of the valley. Well, and when you're in that valley, the next decision you make. Yes. It's the most important decision of your life. Oh,
that next that next decision that you make to stay in that valley or to try to get out and whether that's professional help to try to get out that next decision is the most important decision you make this is also how you test someone's resolve and then their discipline and who they are as a human being okay i had a i had a i had an officer that told me that taught me about the next step and you're talking about the next step and he told me the story about his kids about how he always taught them about the next step here's the example mom makes mom or dad makes an exceptionally good meal okay but you enjoyed that meal kids are going to clean it up so what do you do you load the dishwasher up okay what's the next step you turn it on dishes get cleaned what's the next step you take them out to dry okay cool and then you go sit down and watch tv and then he would watch his kids sit down and watch tv and he goes hey what's the next step (laughs) huh what's the next step well you dry them with your hand after you let them air dry then you're drying with your hand Okay, now what's the next step? You put them away. You went from eating the meal to putting the dishes away, and you don't cut corners anywhere in that process. It's the same thing about learning about getting out of the valley. You're right. It's always that next step. It's always the next decision. And by the time you get to the point to where you're making positive decisions and it's run its course, you put the dishes away, and then now you can go watch TV. And now you're out of the valley. Yeah. Well, and the people who are happiest in life that I've seen are the people accept that that's going to happen. Yeah. They're the people that can accept that life is like this. Yes. You know, one of one of the best lessons that I that I've ever learned about the hilltops and valleys are when I was running the the Houston Marathon with my buddy Cole Walton. Yeah. Okay. Cole Cole. Cole Cole. And the interesting piece of this is to give you a little bit of background on it. This was my the third time I was running a marathon. And I was one of those people that convinced myself that running a marathon was on on my bucket list. It wasn't on my bucket list. I was living in San Diego. I got fat and uh, <laughs> I convinced myself like I mean, is, I wouldn't I wouldn't have called you this fat. This has always bro. been on my bucket list. I need to it was it was the motivation is a strong word. Is I, what I had to is what you were you were you were you're thick. I was tick. <laughs> What I had to tell myself was, oh, well, yeah, marathon, bucket list. And so the first time I ran a marathon, <laughs> I'm sure I'll delve more into this uh, on, following on episodes. But first time I ran a marathon, it was all about the running training because I could make myself doing that, but my diet was horrible. Yeah. And so I ran a marathon at, at 205 pounds. It was not a good experience at all. Yeah. Had a bad stress fracture. Uh, fast forward, but I had gotten it done, and I thought, well, I've done this, I've checked it off the list. Let but I wasn't. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Could you could you imagine me running a marathon? No. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Okay, go ahead. I just, just wonder, wonder how you thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I ran another one in in Houston because I just wasn't happy about the way that it went. I mean, I told myself it was a bucket list thing, and all I want to do is finish it. But at the end of the day, it wasn't enough just to finish it. I wanted to run it in a way that I finished strong and that I and so even through the training and even though I didn't like it it was something that I desired to do again because it just wasn't how I envisioned that process ending yes and so I ended up running the Houston Marathon uh when I when I moved back home did well like target time was four hours ran almost exactly four hours and then this crazy thought came back again a year later I'm like you know what I want to run it again and my buddy Cole had reached out to me and said, hey, man, you signing up for the marathon this year. You'd seen on Facebook that I'd run the other one. I was like, yeah, let's run it together. And at this point, Cole and I were, he was my first friend in seventh grade yeah. when I got to a new school. Yeah. So he'll always have a special place in my heart because of that. So we haven't seen each other in years. And he's like, yeah, okay, let's run the marathon. I'm like, yeah, let's do this, man. Let's do this. Yeah. So I get to the start of the race, okay? And you know me, I'm very rarely late for things. Very rarely late. Because I was hanging out with mom and Dehinga, our sister, I missed the first wave of people. Amazing sister, amazing sister. Amazing sister. I missed the first wave of people that were running and I was supposed to be in the first wave because I had run the marathon before so they put me in the preferential wave. 
So I'm trying to contact Cole and the thousands of people who are running, and I can't get to him. I don't know where he is. Just so happens before I, because I missed that wave, he was in the second wave, and he was looking for me as well. If I had gone in that wave, we him. never would have been able to run the race together. Yeah. Okay. And so we start running. And long story short, I mean, Cole is a, is a triathlete. And anybody who's run a, a race of, of that length, especially somebody who's built like me, who's not built to run marathons, yeah. there's a point in it, very similar to West Point, where you want to quit, where it sucks. And in this race, Cole got there way before I got there. So this is not too deep into the, the first half marathon. He got there, and he just realized, and I see him huffing, he's kind of slowing down, and I'm like, dude, we're early on, man. Are you okay? And he said something that has changed my life. He said, I'm fine, man. But it's like this. I'll be back. It's like this. And when he said that to me, he was so calm. Because if I would have cunked out at that time, I wouldn't have been able to recover. Yeah. But because he had run an Ironman and was trained on a higher level than that. He understood exactly where he was at. He wasn't even nervous about it. He's like, it's just like that. And he had clarity in his eyes. Yeah. He had purpose in his eyes. And he's like, no, just just go on. I'll, I'll catch up with you. Renan, do you, do you have any idea what my next run for office is going to be like? <laughs> This is a, that's, a, that's an excellent point yeah. because when you have the experience of doing that and you choose to learn from it and you choose to learn from the tough times. Now you know you can get out of the valley. I know a campaign is, is like this now. I know what to expect. I know what people are going to say. I don't know what the haters are going to say on Twitter and everything else. Yeah. I, got, I got it. I got it. It, it, there, it. This time, you're looking at this through the eyes of experience and learning from the valleys. Cole can do this because Cole has been in the valleys, particularly in a triathlon. There's a 100% chance that there was a time where he was probably at one of his lowest physical points of his entire natural life. Yeah. Yeah. So he has the perspective to move forward. Perspective. And I think that's the, that's the gift. And, or, or that's what you can train yourself to understand always is perspective. This is something that's, that's flat out missing in this country altogether. It's about perspective. Did Cole finish this race? He sure did. He finished ahead of me. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what's funny. I mean, at mile 14 or 15, I'm the one, like, trying to help him, trying to motivate him. But by? By mile 24, 25. It goes the other way around. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. But I'll never forget how calm he was through that storm. And it, and it reminds me, spiritually, these are conversations that we have. You know, I, I told from time to time I, I preach at my church, and one of the things that I talked about was God doesn't promise us the absence of the storm. He promises us peace and purpose through the through, storm. Through the storm, yeah. And that's something that we, we have this, this mentality in our country, in our world now, that life somehow is supposed to be easy, that you don't have to work hard for things, that you just push, push a button and things will just appear to you George Jetson style. Yeah. And that's a lie. It's a lie. And it affects the way that we interact with others. It affects the way that, that we, we can't be the best citizens that we can be if our expectation is that somebody else will always do for us. Yeah. Particularly in this country. We have opportunities to do it yourself. Last week, you know, on Monday, is Martin Luther King's birthday. Yes. I think it would be germane for us to bring that up. And there's an, there is a documentary on HBO that I watched last week about his life. I believe it's called King in the Wilderness, uh, King of the Wilderness. I can't think of the exact yeah. name, but something of that, of the, of that, of the sort. And you talk about peaks and valleys and ups and downs. You talk about resolve. I'll look at everything that's going on in this country even right now. And, and, I, and I, got a, I watched that, and, I, and it put things in perspective for me in a way to help me really understand that right now, although it's difficult and although it's more difficult than what we've seen in recent times, 
this is nothing yep. compared to what Dr. Martin Luther King went through. This is nothing compared to what people of color went through back then. This is literally nothing. And if we were able to survive that post-assassinating the leader of the civil rights movement, the premier leader in the history of this country in terms of what civil rights means. I mean, when you think of the word civil rights, that is synonymous with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., full stop. Not only that, Rendon, he did it promoting peace at all cost. Yeah. Peace at all cost. He wasn't concerned with the violence of other groups or what somebody else did or somebody else said. He stuck to what his mandate was. And that is equality through peace. Do you know what he endured? He lost his life. He was a son. He was a father. He was a husband. And he died for this cause. Actually, he died for us to be sitting here doing this right now. Now, that's perspective. It is. It is. And it's it's the whole idea of how are we willing to be a part of that infrastructure? Yeah, man. Because there's one thing to hear that, and there's one thing to say, rah, rah, yes, I'm on board with that. But then how do we really take personal responsibility? <laughs> well, say, 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 that, say it again. Personal oh. responsibility. Okay. Accountability. Oh, okay. So you're an adult, and you make a decision, and, and you no longer at some point get to abide by the devil made me do it. Oh, I tell you, one of the best things, back to, to West Point and Plebe Summer, I didn't realize we'd spend so much time in Plebe Summer. Dude, we could, uh, this is gonna, I got a feeling this is gonna be an entire episode. Yeah, we, we will have to talk more about Plebe Summer. Yeah, one of the things. It's horribly that, awesome. I say it's horrible, but it's actually amazing. I think I, that's the dichotomy there. Yeah, it, it is horribly is awesome. It's I, horribly, it, it's, yes. it's one of the best and worst times of my life for sure. Yes. I, one of the things that, that I take away from there is, the four responses. Oh, this is good. So as a plea, there's not this litany of explaining yourself and why things happen <laughs> or why you did something wrong or why you didn't know what you're supposed to know or why your shoes weren't shine or why your, your uniform wasn't iron. You have four responses. Yes, sir, or ma'am. No, sir, or ma'am. Sir, or ma'am, I do not understand. Or sir, or ma'am, no excuse. Do push-ups. And the fourth response, no excuse, has been something that's defined my perspective in life. Why? No excuse. I'm not even going to spend the time trying to tell you why I'm not willing to contribute to society or help or try to make others, others better. That time is better spent doing it. Yeah. No excuse. Hey, why aren't your shoes shine? No, no excuse. excuse. Don't tell me about the story about what happened or your edge dressing is all over. There's a volcano of edge dressing. What's the no, no excuse. excuse? I'll fix it next time. Figure, it, won't, it won't happen figure again. Figure out how to do it next time. Or else, or else you can have a really strong chest. Yeah. Because you can do a lot of push-ups. Fig, figure out how to do it. And 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 there's there's a piece that 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 accountability. Yeah of who we are, and part of this is about, about being in the valley. Once again, it's the idea of recognizing that you're in the valley and then taking responsibility for the decisions that you make while you're in that valley. Yes. Because that's the thing, too, that, that people don't realize. You don't, you don't I, have to pass the buck all the time. No. I, I, had, this, I had this conversation <laughs> with, with my daughter Esther yesterday, and it's, it's interesting to see how kids pick up She's on so the, sweet, the, the man, She is sweet. Way. Kids pick up on our vernacular. So the types of vocabulary and the, the, the syntax that we have, kids pick up on so that. So you're saying my kids are in trouble. <laughs> you're saying a lot of bad words. You're saying, that's, you're saying this is well, bad. You're saying yeah, that. Yeah, you're saying this is bad. I'm just kidding. I don't so, think my children. So, sure. Uh, so <laughs> they, Esther has picked up this cue where if she feels like she doesn't want people to say things around her, she says... I'm feeling anxious. Who said that? Right? I know, I know, I know you didn't say that. Where'd she get that from? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. okay. Maybe TV. I don't know, right? 
but it's a cue for her because when she knows that changes the tenor of things because people can't tell you what to do or, or be down on you and you say I'm feeling anxious like that's a that's a higher level of being I'm feeling anxious everybody get away from me I'm yeah. feeling anxious right yeah. and so that's been what she's taken up over time and I think part of it is Waddell and I try to have good conversations with her about expressing her feelings and tell us how she's feeling right mm -hmm. and I think that that our generation in particular should be doing a better job of that than the generation before us like really like how do you feel and why and so, but it's her tagline so that she can get people off of her back. I'm feeling anxious, right? So the other day, she was not acting right, which is rare for her. Very rare. And that's right, John. And I, yes. And so I, I, I and she starts starts saying, "I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling anxious. Just don't, just don't talk to me anymore." And I had to tell her. I said, "Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm feeling anxious. Doesn't mean that now you get to act whatever way you want to act." Yes. You're accountable for your feelings when you're feeling anxious. And you're accountable You're for accountable for your feelings when you're not feeling anxious. And that's sometimes what we forget, especially what, when we're in our valleys, is we can be in our valleys and we must figure out ways to navigate that. Yeah. But we are still accountable for our actions. So we had, again, you know, we had the best mom in the world. We also had the best dad in the world. Yeah. Okay? We had outstanding parents and there was a issue at St. John's back back in middle school and as you recall we were one of the few black kids in both our grades I believe you were the only black kid in your only class. black male only black male in your yeah. class and then I was the only black male in my class but I think we had at the time in middle school we had one or two black females as well so mm -hmm. there were so there were actually two of us two yeah. it was like two black young ladies and then me marvelously diverse yeah <laughs> right this is us <laughs> in middle school out of 115, 120 yeah. kids. And, you know, our parents never let us use race as an excuse ever. No. And that was, and I'm glad they, I'm glad they did not. Um, but there was a teacher in middle school that everyone kind of knew had some race issues with some of the black kids. And this was not just blaming her for, you know, for yeah. a certain thing. It, she, she just kind of was. So there was an incident in the cafeteria that a good buddy of mine, I'm not going to say his name, <laughs> were doing the exact same thing but we weren't doing the right thing. I'll put it to you like that. Yeah. And we got busted. And we got busted by this teacher that we all know kind of had some race issues. We're doing the exact same thing. Got busted the exact same time. My buddy was a white guy. And I got more punishment hmm. than my buddy got. Literally, same thing, same crime, same time, same thing. Yeah. And I came home and I said, Dad, and I was livid. And I knew I was like, Dad, you're not going to believe this. This is what I was doing, and this is what happened, and you're not going to believe this. But my buddy got less punishment than I got, and we all know why, and that's not fair. You know what Dad told me? You know what Dad told me? He looked at me and said, well, son, were you doing the wrong thing? I said, yeah, Dad, but I got more punishment. You know what he said? If you were doing the right thing in the first place, we wouldn't be having this conversation now, would we? And he walked out the room. Wow. Now, it took some 10 years later when we, when we were at West Point, when I found out later, actually, that mom and dad went to go speak to that teacher. Sure. And actually, our punishment was the same, but I didn't know why. I just thought that she realized that she may have made a mistake and fixed it. I didn't realize that mom and dad, and, and by the way, and by the way, mom and dad never told me that they went to go talk to her Yeah. until t it's 10, 15 years later. Yeah. And do you know why they never told us? Because it's personal responsibility and personal, personal accountability. Yeah. If you do the wrong thing, you own it and you pay for it and don't worry about what other people are doing. Yeah. Don't worry about other people's punishment. You worry about what you're doing. Yes, yes. And if you're doing the right thing, then there's no punishment. No is there. Yeah. Yeah. I really am sick and tired of watching grown adults point at other people. Adults. Not and now we were children doing this. Yeah. Grown adults pointing at other people saying, well, well, they did this. Well, they did that. So that doesn't give you carte blanche to no. do whatever you want to do. You're responsible for your actions. Period. You're responsible for your actions. Period. And I, I, I tell you, it makes me think when you think about the idea of making bad 
decisions or bad calls when, when you're in the Valley. I think about when I was rooming with Alfred in the Navy. Yeah. And I got dumped. <laughs> oh, please tell this awesome story. Yeah. So. <laughs> this is your rim rant, sir. Oh, it this is. is. This is your. <laughs> this is yeah. your Picasso. <laughs> yeah. So. Graduated from West Point. Had a serious girlfriend when I graduated. <laughs> And I clearly thought it was more serious than she did. <laughs> which happens from time to time. Which, which is a thing, apparently. And so then I'm in the process where you know, I did something rare, did an inter-service transfer, so served as an officer in the Navy following, following West Point. So the nuance of that is I didn't know anybody in San Diego when I went out. I mean, I knew a couple of people who I went on exchange with the Naval Academy with, but I didn't know a whole lot of people out there. So I moved out in town on my own. I had this serious girlfriend, and it was really the first time in my life that I was really isolated because I didn't know anybody, right? I was away from home. I was away from mom, dad. I was away from, from you and Dehanya. Really pretty isolated, but the the yeah say, that's why you couldn't call me because I I just stopped this foolishness <laughs> <But> continue, <laughs> but, continue. The, but the fact that I had you in the middle of the ocean I <laughs> found you yeah. <laughs> so I had I I had this girlfriend and one of the things that I was really looking forward to was seeing her over the holidays so she was going to come out to to San Diego during the holiday season <clears throat> and that was something that I was that I was really excited about well long story short. She suddenly breaks up with me, okay? And I'm 22, 23 at the time. First real serious girlfriend. Like, yeah. I didn't date a whole lot, didn't have a lot of serious girlfriends. Thought there was a chance that this could be the one. And part of that is kind of the culture that we grew up in, right? I mean, you grow up around, you know, I, I think we put a, a big premium on having the feeling that somebody's the one. Yeah. When in reality, look, relationships are hard work, okay? Like, regardless <laughs> of if you think somebody's the one or not, like, it, you takes, don't, you it, don't takes, say. it takes a whole lot of work, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so, and, and it was like, really, I mean, it was a, it was a bad breakup, too, because it was pretty dismissive. It's like that, I'm not returning your phone calls, and then she just, br I mean, I basically got ghosted, okay? okay? In a way that could only happen back in like 05. I don't even think that could happen now, right? Yeah. I mean, I got, it could happen, but I mean, it'd be weird. It's it's yeah. like, like it's like, <laughs> it's like I, dude, I know you're I know you were out in Midtown. I saw you on Instagram. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it like, would, it would, and I was there too. It so would like, be weird. You can't, yeah. yeah, like I mean, so I got I got completely ghosted, and at the time, one of my best friends to this day and my roommate in the Navy and my first roommate in the Navy, his name's Alfred Park. At the time. Alfred and I would always talk about relationships and things. Actually, he had met his wife during his future wife during this time, so we had always had these conversations about relationships. And I'm just getting broke up, broken up with. Very similar to the edge dressing thing. I'm just getting broken up with. Yeah. I'm in a new situation. It's a valley. You know, it's just like it's I'm in the valley. I'm in this valley. Get broke up with. Don't know where things are going in the future. So I get this great idea. I was like, you know what? You know what? I'm sending her all the stuff. Back that I've ever had, every picture, every note she sent to me, I'm sending all the stuff back to her. And and my buddy Alfred, how old are you? Twenty two, twenty three. So great. And 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 my buddy Alfred is Dude, what like what a loser. Yeah, total loser. My 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 buddy Alfred is like my buddy Alfred is like, dude, don't do this. I wish I was like, 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 he's like, don't do this. What are you doing? And I was making this decision. I mean, we're talking about like a 24 to 48 hour decision where we're about to go out to sea for a workup and I have to decide whether I'm going to you know, put this stuff in a box and ship it off. Like, I mean, this is, this is a pretty close. I mean, there is a timeline on this decision, right? And so he's like, dude, don't do this. And I'm like, no, Alfred, like, no, man, screw this, man. Like, like, like I, I don't know why this didn't work out. This so the she was my everything. Oh, she was my everything. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was bad, right? So 
I get all the stuff. There'll never be another. There, yes. There'll never be another. Yeah. I get the pictures, <laughs> the notes that she sent me. I mean, totally vindictive. Stuff that you... If you love stuff, that, you let it go. That you, that you saved. It is, it'll come back to you, yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Stuff that I've saved. I, I get all this stuff together, and 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 I put it all in a box. And throughout this whole process, this Alfred's like, "Bad idea. Don't do this, man. This is a bad idea. Don't do this." And then he told me something that that came to fruition. It was almost as if he was a prophet saying this. He said, "Let me tell you something." And however old I was, he's like 22. He's like 22, 23, 20. Maybe I think it was just turned 23. It's like, "Hey, man, 23 year old Rendon." thinks this is a good idea. 35-year-old Rendon is going to know that this is not a good idea. You better believe I called Alfred on my 35th birthday and told, told him this, that. and we laughed about it. But he's like, no, man, this is a good idea. So I box all this stuff up. And in my final push of defiance, I'm thinking, what's a good note to put on this? How do I, how do I really you know, get the knife in? Yeah, this is a I, knife. this is a butter knife. I get I get <laughs> I, I I get a little I get a little notepad, and <clears throat> of all the people that I could quote, of all the people I can quote, and I'm gonna tell you something. There's a there's a there's an infinite amount of wisdom that I you don't know, like quoted. Nietzsche, any Rendon, or somebody who has some it's sense. Rendon. of all the people, all the philosophers that, that, that I could Socrates. Quote. I mean, you could have gone. I get that pad. And I quote Axl Rose. This is so bad. And I wrote on that notepad it's so bad. the lyrics from November Rain. So Nothing bad. lasts forever. And we both know hearts can change. <laughs> Rendon. Dude, I hope this... I hope this young lady has kept that. I hope she kept that. I box. hope she has too, because I want to apologize for, so <laughs> for, how, for how ridiculous it was. Uh, and so I, I write this, and and I and I and I box everything up, and then the thing that's even crazier is it's taking people's words against them. Like, yeah, we're gonna have forever. We were like in our twenties. Yeah. Nothing lasts forever. <laughs> we both know hearts can change. So I box this up, you know, send it. And to her credit, she didn't respond to it uh, immediately. I mean, we had emailed back, I mean, a handful of times surrounding that, but she didn't respond to it immediately to her credit, which was the right thing to do yeah. because I was trying to spin things up, right? Well, looking back on that whole situation, that was a valley, and that decision that I made in that valley, yes, it still mattered. Yes. It still had repercussions. It still had ramifications. That decision still mattered. I'm gonna ask you a question. Yeah. Did you ever quote Axl Rose again? No, and send it to never. Him? You see, there you go. <laughs> so, 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 so you learn. So you learn. So you learn from the valley. Never. So you learn from the valley. <laughs> well, except uh, except when Waddell and I got got married, uh, I told her. Welcome so, to the jungle. So you quoted Vanilla Ice. <laughs> <laughs> I went off you. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle. We got everything you want, but you better not take, take it for free. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, and it's it's one of those things where when we're in those times, and I go back to to Alfred too, and having somebody who is surrounding yourself with somebody somebody has some sense. Yeah, which speaks volumes. Yeah. Even though I didn't listen. Yeah. But you heard him. I, I heard him. Yeah. I heard and, him. And you're talking about it sometimes later, sometime later, and you'll be able to share that with not just right, but with other people to help them. Yeah. 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 But as we sit here and talk about the valleys, let's let's touch on the peaks too. Sure. As horrible as that edge dressing incident was, it made that hat toss. Hmm. on your graduating day, so much sweeter, didn't it? As horrible as it was to climb Bull Hill hmm. at West Point, you put a little oomph on that hat toss at the end. As much as it was through all the formations and through all of the drill and through all of the classes taking a minimum of, I think, like 19 and a half hours per semester was the minimum that we even took at West Point losing your entire summers, spending them training or spending them training others, 
because the first two summers are actually run and taught by upperclassmen. They're taught by the juniors and seniors that take on the leadership positions. So they sacrifice their summer to train the upcoming cadets. You're doing CTLT. You're doing all of this training. And it makes the reward so much sweeter. It makes you live a more patient life. Yeah. It makes you delay instant gratification. Because if you delay instant gratification, the end is so much better. Yeah. It helps you understand defeat. It helps you understand the valleys. So when you're on that mountaintop and you're on that peak, because as Cole so eloquently put it, it's like this. But when you're up there, it doesn't feel as good if you weren't down here. I would even add to that, up here means nothing if you weren't down here. I'm going to win an election someday. And when I do, I will think about us embracing the night I lost the election on the verge of tears, knowing all of the blood, sweat, and tears that I put into this and the feeling of me letting people down to know that when I'm on the peak, it matters and it means something. That's why anybody who has done something great, any politician, any CEO, any professional athlete, any Olympian, see, there was this time when they had to persevere through and those that don't make it, oftentimes, it wasn't because of their talent. By God, they were talented. They just quit. Yeah. Well, they quit in the valley, and they couldn't take it. Yeah. And then there are those that are given a lot, but the peaks don't mean as much because they don't understand the valleys. I mean, we don't live forever on this earth. No. Life is about these kinds of lessons. It's not about the ups and the downs. It's about living this fulfilled life and understanding then passing those lessons on to the, to the next generation to hopefully impact those 10, 20 generations from now. Yeah. That's it. You see, our great-great-grandfather was a slave. I would consider that to be a valley. That's a pretty big valley. I would consider us to be peaks. Yeah. This is about perspective. Yeah. It always is. Yeah. I know the title of this podcast is You Learn More in the Valleys Than You Do in the Peaks, but this is really about perspective yeah i tell you and there there was a one time and you said we we don't live forever i mean look the reality is wesley nothing lasts <laughs> forever and 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 we both know the hearts hearts, hearts can, can change, change. <laughs> so there was this there was this one uh you know more recently in terms of <clears throat> experiences that we've had in thinking through through hard times uh a couple years back, this is always kind of a weird story to tell because there's no normal way to tell this, right? It's uh, it's uh, rather rather personal, but it's a kind of a weird thing to say. So I had a, a cyst on my testicle, yeah. which is such a weird like. How do you say that in a normal way? It's yeah. like yeah, I had this thing on my balls. Yeah, I remember. I know. I got. I, was, like, I got. The, I remember the phone call. Yeah, I, I mean, I it, the call. and of course, in the demographic that I'm in and the age that I'm in, the the first thing that I think, and it was you know it was. It was it was painful, and the first thing that I think is like, "Uh oh, I might have testicular cancer." Yeah, like this is, this this is crazy. Um, and at the time, we had, we had had my second child, and I'm thinking like, "Hey, are we going to expand the family? Like, like you know, if, would it be possible for me to have another? Like, like all these." And then you things, had right, or, and then I'm like, "I'm good. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Like, just, I'm out. Just back it on right. Nah, yeah. He's a good kid. So, uh, <laughs> so, so then I, I'm thinking about all these things, and 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 it's a it's scary. And, yeah. and you think about how is this really, how is this going to play out and all this kind of stuff? And I, I had a, a buddy of mine who's an oncologist, he had come over and it was one of those funny conversations that you have where it's where I go in my back office and I'm like, hey man, let me show you something. He's like, whoa, oh, bro, whoa, bro, bro, bro. whoa. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but I digress. But, but what ended up happening is uh, it, was, it, was, it was benign. Yeah. And they gave me this medication to take to dissolve the cyst. I remember this. Yeah. And as as people probably hear just by the way I, I converse and the conversations I have with people, earlier in life I used to be like this. Now I'm I'm like this. Yeah. For sure. Um, and, and, and would not consider myself an overly emotional person. We are Mr. Spock and and Captain. Uh, <laughs> 
It's a good analogy for us. Captain Kirk gets just Fox. It's a good analogy. Yeah. That's right. Uh, but I, I would consider myself like this. But er, but earlier on in life, you know, I kind of felt I was a different way. I was kind of swinging from up and down, up and down, up and down. Well, I took this medication to to dissolve the cyst and didn't even think anything of it. And certainly for the first time in my adult life, I woke up a couple of days later and I was emotionally destroyed. Yeah. Like emotionally just completely destroyed. Yeah. And I, I went to, I remember that. I, I remember us talking about this every I, like a few times a day actually at that time. And I, I went to work and there's a guy, there was a guy, Mark, a, a homeless guy who on the way to work every day, I'd always, you know, bring him some food in the morning or shake his hand. And it was one of those things where, you know, either physical touch of somebody, you know, like this person, nobody wants to touch him. And they walk by and they shun him whenever yeah. they see him. And every time I would see Mark, I would like ask him how he was doing and, and like physically shake his hand. Right. And I go into work this this morning. And it's what I used to call when I was a kid, a dark day. It was as if there was just a dark cloud over the day. Mm -hmm. And I go into work. And I see Mark, and I and I shake his hand, and I, I get up to my office because I got in there really early, around 6.15, 6.30, and I just put my head down on my desk and was just crying hysterically. Yeah. Because it was this motion where this notion where my biggest fear in life is that I can't make enough of a difference. Yeah. And I felt that I was just there feeling, seeing this man that I couldn't really help, and I just couldn't make enough of a difference. And so I called you, and I'm talking to you, and you're like, dude, what did you do differently today? And I can't get out of this funk. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I didn't even think because my day is so regimented. Yeah. I run every single day. Yeah. I pretty much eat the same thing for three meals. My day is so regimented that I never even thought about it. He's like, no, no. And you, you challenged me on it. What did you do different today yes. that you haven't done for the rest of your life? Because you're off. You're off and there's something wrong. And I thought about it, and I was like, oh, well, I took this medication. You're like, Stop taking it. Yep. Stop taking it. Call my father-in-law, tell him what the medication is. He's like, oh, well, geez, like some of the side effects could be depression, suicidal thoughts, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. And that was the first time, certainly in my adult life, I, ever, I felt what it's like and I thought people deal with this day every in and day out. Day. People live just like this in that valley every day. They live there every day. So one thing that I definitely want to say, and I would be remiss if I did not say that on this podcast: if you need help, get help. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's okay because that taste of what that might feel like, I can't imagine what it would be like, and the courage that people have. To live through that day every in every single day and day out every single because day. that is not the cross that I have to bear. No, it took medication for me to I feel that way. It. But imagine feeling that waking up in the morning and feeling like that every single day. I felt it. It's devastating. I felt it. And having you around, if I didn't have somebody who had the courage to, tell to check it and tell me and say, "Hey, dude, like you're off," if yeah. I didn't have that, like what? I mean, what? What possibly could have happened? I remember, I remember, and I remember, I remember that moment. I remember that conversation, and I remember thinking to myself, "This is not my brother. Like you're having an out of body experience. It just it did not make sense to me. Literally, you're the, you're one of the most optimistic people that I've ever met in my life. You're always optimistic. I mean, <clears throat> you're optimistic, not I lost. You know, and and I will never forget that conversation. <clears throat> and the next day, it's like it never happened. <laughs> And I bring that up because imagine that swing if that's happening to somebody on, in, a, in a natural state. And what I also want to challenge people to do is if you recognize this in somebody, be yes. a friend and help them and tell them and let them know that they are safe to talk about that and discuss these kinds of things with you. When you're seeing this, this, these swings up and down, be the friend who's in tune with your friend and help because you yeah. might save a life. So, yeah. with that said, it's always an honor. It's always a pleasure. I wish everyone could have a best friend like you. I'm pretty sure our listeners will hear that repeatedly. Uh, but, again, please keep in mind always that this is about perspective. 
we must always learn from one another. We don't shut anybody out. We are all human beings first. And I think if we keep that perspective and understand that there will be lows, but fear not, the highs are coming as well. It's a part of the human condition. It's a part of living this life. And fortunately for us, we get to live it as Americans. Amen to that. Thank you all for listening. Yep.